Especially about what the song circuitry is about. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what it's about, oh, man. but it's a weird. It was... Yeah, that stuff I can definitely tell you <laughs> everything. I don't know if I should, but I definitely could. <laughs> This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Randy Torres of Knives. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan. I am your host for this evening or morning or afternoon or whenever you would choose to listen to or watch this podcast. Uh, With me tonight is a very special guest, somebody that I hold very near and dear to my musical heart. Uh, That is Mr. Randy Torres. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well for for a weekend. I have tomorrow off, so I'm like real casual, real loosey-goosey tonight. (laughs) Good. (laughs) That's That's what it's all about. 100%. Well, you know, the reason I called you on tonight is, you know, originally, you know, we there was some stuff that, you know, went down in January that I'm not going to get into. Um, and there was the option. I, I was going to pull you onto the podcast then, but then you were going to be on another podcast that kind of occupied the same space as this one. So I was like, I'm going to hold off um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of kind of let the dust settle on all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great to ha- it's great to have you here, man. It's great to hear from you. And um, I'll get a. Uh, I guess we'll just get right. Well, thank you so much for asking me to be on. Oh yeah, man. Any anytime. You're. I mean, if you if you showed up and you were like, "Hey, um, I want to talk about Lego building," I'd be like, "Yeah, man, let's <laughs> let's do it." We awesome. never covered that on the show before, but we'll do it. I was never good at Lego building, to be honest. I couldn't either. I mean, the Legos that we had whenever we were kids, probably. Um, mm-hmm. I know that we didn't have cool Lego stuff. Like we didn't have like Lego tie-ins for movies. You had like Lego space. Lego farm, you know, you had just like these really basic kits and all I had was like blue and red, blue and red blocks. And like, I had to use my imagination, (laughs) you know, all I wanted as a kid was the, it was the pirate ship, the Lego pirate ship. And I just remember it being so expensive that, uh, my parents said, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I was very, very crushed by that. So Lego's always been overcharging people. (laughs) (laughs) Like I did, I, and it's all in the licensing now. I think, but uh, yeah, back then I don't know. I, I remember wanting a Lego, uh, Lego Tie Fighter. It was like uh, oh, Darth. Yeah. It was Darth Vader's Tie Fighter. You know, the one that he flies Ooh. at the end of the first movie. And um, yeah, that one was also my parents were like, "Yeah, no way. Here's a here's an action figure." You know, <laughs> <laughs> now go play. But uh, well, you know, speaking of childhood, let's just go like right back. Uh, let's just go right right into that. um you know and i'm gonna skip ahead i'm not gonna ask you like what day you were born what you know what it was raining whether it was raining or sunshine (laughs) out or anything like that but um what got you into what got you into music um like as far as like being something that obviously you know now you've spent a lifetime you know pursuing as a career um what got you into into wanting to play or, or did somebody get you into it yeah um my dad played guitar um and he had an old, uh, it was like a kind of a crappy Yamaha classical acoustic guitar that I always pick up and mess around with. And finally it kind of dawned on them that it was something I was really into. And, um, I think I was 12 or 13. They bought me a guitar from Sears for Christmas and it was 
pretty awesome. It was white and it had a red, a blue, and a yellow stri- like streak stripes across it. Oh wow! It was super ugly. <laughs> um, and that was just kind of the beginning. And I would just sit in my room and just screw around, and I didn't really quite know how to play. And I never really, I was never really formally taught how to play. Um, I just kind of figured it out. I mean, my dad showed me a couple chords here and there. And, um, but I just kind of taught myself, um, which I still don't really quite know as far as theory goes, <laughs> what's what. So it was just pretty much by ear. And, um, but it's just one of those things that I just gravitated towards. And it's a huge Nirvana fan. And, you know, this was like early, early nineties and, um, just became obsessed with them. And I would sit in my room and just try to figure out their songs on my guitar and, um, yeah. And I guess that was pretty much the beginning. Um, it was just something that just resonated and, um, yeah, I couldn't, I it wasn't a very good, I was horrible at sports and I didn't really have any other things that I was into as a kid. And that was definitely something that, that I was really excited about. So I guess it was just a natural progression from there. <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, the theory doesn't matter as long as it sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fake it till you make it is what we all do as musicians. One hundred percent. So, <laughs> when did you want to? When did you decide that you wanted to kind of start playing in bands, like playing, you know, kind of playing out? I know every, I know every kid with a guitar, you know that that plan formulates, but for a lot of people, it never turns into anything. Yeah, um, I I think in junior high and probably. Well, like freshman year of high school, I played in a handful of really bad bands where nobody really knew what they were doing. We would just make noise and screw around and in the garage. And um, it didn't really get serious until uh, I started playing actually with Project 86. So um, everything before that was was pretty bad. Okay, <laughs> and, but it was but it was fun. Um, and we would just cover songs and. Um, or at, at least try to cover songs and uh, just screw around in the garage and sound, we sounded horrible, <laughs> <laughs> sure. but it was super fun. <laughs> and it didn't really, um, it wasn't really serious until I met uh, Andrew at my youth group and he really wanted to start a band. I really wanted to be in a real band. Um, so we just we were like, let's start a band. And um, we just started playing. Oh, wow. Okay. So that would have been, uh, what, 95, 96? Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, 95. I was a freshman in high school um, when we started. So, yeah, that was about 95. So how different did Project 86 sound, uh, you know, prior to uh, recording, that first, <laughs> recording that first record? Well, it was... It was kind of along the same lines of when I was playing and in, in, when I was younger, is we would just cover songs. We'd always cover, we would cover Raging at the Machine, which I'm sure is not going to be any surprise to anybody. Right. Um, and uh, what else did we, we just, any, any music at the time that we thought that we were big fans of, we would just cover the songs. And it was a good way to kind of get used to playing together and, and um, just trying to, find some sort of sound that we all liked. And, um, so yeah, we would just cover a bunch of racing machine and, and we would try tool and just like the typical, um, like new metal stuff of that time. <laughs> sure. Um, but then we just, I kind of evolved from, 
doing cover songs and to just trying out some new stuff. And we would early on, we would all, all four of us just sit in a room and we would write together, which kind of this, the whole process definitely changed a lot as the band went along, but sure. Um, yeah, we, it was so long ago. <laughs> and I, remember I know. I telling know. Telling me to just be ready to, <laughs> to think back. But, um, I, I do remember, at least in the beginnings of the band, we, that's kind of how we did it. We just all sat the four of us in a room and just screwed around till we felt like we had some sort of strong song structure worked out. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And it's just really funny too. If you listen to that first record, the structures are <laughs> all over the place. Like they make no sense. Yeah, some songs, which could, could be a good thing or you know when you start getting to get better at writing music you start trying to structure things in such a way that makes sense and um so maybe sometimes that's a bad i maybe that's a bad way to do it because you start writing songs the same but i mean back then we just we didn't know i we didn't know anything we were just going (laughs) yeah i mean that first record is is hilarious to me because uh, not because i think it's funny stupid or anything but it's there are uh I heard drawing black lines first. And so yeah. I, you know, going back to the self-titled after that, because obviously, you know, you find out about a band and then you're like, Oh crap, they have a whole other record out. So you, you know, obviously you want to consume as when you get into a band, you want to consume as much of whatever that band has for sure out at yeah. the time. And so I remember going back to that first record and just being like, Oh wow. Okay. So it's the pace is slower, but the songs are more, um, it was like a, you know, like you said, it's like a Rage Against the Machine kind of meets Tool, you know, sort of, yeah. sort of deal. As much as we could try to bring in those kind of influences, we're, we're obviously trying to not completely copy <laughs> as much as we could. Right. Um, but you can definitely hear our influences in that first record. And it was, you know, way more heavy. And um, we all listened to hardcore and um, just at the time. And, um, so it was just kind of a, uh, a mess of, of the things that we were listening to at the time. Well, the thing I think is weird about that first record is that it was on Beck instead of, uh, tooth and nail. I don't think solid state. Yeah. Was, no, solid state was around, uh, then, um, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just weird that such a heavy record would be on a label that would eventually go on to do kind of your more contemporary, uh, <laughs> Christian music or, yeah. Well, it's when Brandon started that, that, I don't know if it's technically a sub label. When he started it, it was originally supposed to be the more mainstream, uh, label of tooth and nail. Okay. Um, and it just kind of turned into being the contemporary side of it. Um, but in the beginning and we were like one of maybe two or three bands that were on that label, it was just his way of trying to separate separate from tooth and nail and be like a more mainstream thing, which at the time we were like, sounds good. Let's do that. But, um, yeah, it ended up turning into Jeremy camp and super tones and those bands. Well, and when I was talking to, uh, when I was talking to Steven earlier this year, you know, he had mentioned that, um, you know, he, cause I obviously he'd played in, um, inner means, I think. Yeah, it was inner means, uh, for a little mm-hmm. bit before project. And, uh, you know, he said that, you know, the, the goal from the very beginning was to be kind of like a more serious band and be like, you know, we're going to really like a hundred percent go for it, which I think is super unique to, to that time period, <laughs> you know, because right. nowadays okay. I don't, I almost feel like nobody starts with that as their motivation. <laughs> right. 
Well, everybody wants, you know, everybody has aspirations to play music for a living and, and, and be successful. Sure. Um, we were definitely, it just, luckily it, it fell into a time of like Steve and I were in high school. We were, we were just graduating high school. So we didn't, we didn't have any obligations like work or kids or, so we were just full, like just ready hundred percent in. Um, so it just kind of all fell luckily along that time. And one of the hardest things about being in a band is getting everyone like a hundred percent committed, which is so hard to do. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, or even podcasts for that matter. Getting people to show up for anything is, <laughs> is, is sometimes uh, a huge challenge but uh you know after see you guys recorded that record i'm kind of moving ahead a little bit but uh the you guys recorded that first record and um you know on back and it was probably you know obviously the most successful thing you guys got on bigger shows um well like where did you how, how are you feeling kind of at that point or how was the band kind of feeling as, as a whole and i'm being around the bush with the with the question but like when at what point did you guys start feeling like you were on the next level uh you know of bands yeah, um, that's a funny question to think about because at least at the time I was so young that I was just kind of along for the ride and I didn't, um, certainly one of the things that I regret is not really kind of being, enjoying <laughs> the moment of, of being able to, you know, um, make a living off of playing music and stuff. Like at the time I just didn't even realize that was all happening. I was just like, Oh, this is fun. This is great. I'm like, I'm get to play in a band. And, um, it, I guess it just didn't really even feel serious for a long time. Um, it was just kind of a fun, fun thing to do. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like we're, there was a time and it wasn't until drawing black lines were, were, people um, started talking and, you know, we had some interest from other labels that it kind of felt like, Oh shoot, this could actually really be something that, that could happen, I guess, which is, which was always felt like that was always with us. Like, Oh, we could, we're, you know, we're almost there. We could get big and this could happen, but it just never did. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, well, I think the, the biggest thing was that Atlantic had struck gold with POD. You know, yeah. and they yeah. were thinking, you know, man, th there is massive potential in this like Christian heavy music market, you know, because um, I mean, even if you look at right. the stuff that like Solid State and Tooth and Nail did in the late 90s and the early 2000s, they were a juggernaut, you know, on, on their own. But then you've got that to the point where they start. I started noticing that a lot of the bands that I liked that were on Tooth and Nail, you know, ended up kind of uh kind of jumping to major labels so it was something that i almost feel like was expected um i know my copy of drawing black line says two i think it says tooth and nail and atlantic records like it was a co a yeah. co release yeah it was a co-release it uh, what ended up happening is um the our a and r guy we shared the same a and r guy the guy that signed pod so they kind of when POD started being successful, um, we shared the same manager, we shared the same NR and they pretty much just used that formula on us to just try to do the same thing, which I think we're complete, two completely different bands, same kind of genre, but, um, it obviously didn't work trying to put us in the same, uh, formula as they did with POD. Um, but yeah, at the time, I think it was, 
it was some cornerstone. Remember what year it was, but we met, we actually met, uh, POD's A&R guy, this guy, John Rubley. And, um, he saw us play and he's like, I'm really impressed with you guys. Um, we would love to do something with you. And it kind of just turned into drawing back lines was just, it was either just coming out. It was like halfway out. And he thought of the idea of them licensing it and, uh, doing a bit of a push on the commercial side of it. Okay. And then just going from there. So, um, so yeah, some of the releases have, are just tooth and nail, which I think too, if you would have bought them at Christian bookstores or any sort of Christian outlet, it would have been just a tooth and nail release, but okay. then Atlantic picked it up. Then it was in all the stores. I mean, at the time, like Sam Goody and tower records and, um, when, <laughs> when record stores were still around, yeah. um, then that would have, then that would have the label Atlantic and tooth and nail. Okay. Um, and it was just like a, a way for them to um, just have, you know, a part of that and to try to promote it. But we have this whole idea of doing a re-release um, and actually adding two songs to two drawing black lines and then re-releasing it. Interesting. And we had this wacky story. Like, do you remember that movie um, Rockstar? With, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Okay. It's the unofficial so, uh, Judas Priest movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they ask Atlantic to, for a band to write an original song to be the, the title track for that movie. And so it somehow came to us. And this is right when we started doing that, you know, the drawing block lines thing with Atlantic. So we wrote a song <laughs> for the movie that no one's ever heard. <laughs> um, and it was going to be, it was going to be on the soundtrack. It was going to be the title track for the movie. And <laughs> we did it. We went into the studio, recorded it, mixed it. And it, the song's okay. It's not one of my favorites, but, um, the label hated the song and it just all kind of <laughs> went away. <laughs> well, and I don't know if some artists ended up getting that. I don't think anybody did. It just didn't, the whole thing didn't really make sense because the movie takes place in the eighties and, you know, we're not that kind of music anyway. So the whole thing was weird to begin with. Um, but the whole idea was Atlantic was going to re-release trying back lines with these two new tracks. One of the tracks was going to be in that movie Rockstar. Um, obviously none of this happened. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which then in turn turned us, turned into us writing for, um, truth of heroes and doing that record. But, um, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna get into Truthless Heroes here in a little bit, but um, yeah, at, at, yeah. Th at this point though, um, obviously with all the Atlantic attention and, and all of that, was the band? I mean, with all of this stuff going on and a label signing a band that obviously, like, obviously wasn't like a radio hits band. I mean, you guys had catchy songs even on Drawing Black Lines, um, you know, One Arm Man and, and 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 like Sad Machines and stuff. So like, there wasn't a, a commercial appeal, but it was only for right. people that were into like dingy heavy rock, you know. Uh, and, yeah. almost, and, you know, you guys kind of went into hardcore a little bit more in like you went into hardcore more than a lot of the more mainstream friendly bands would have, you know, yeah. um, which I always thought was really, really weird because people people would say like, oh, well, this record's like super, super screamy because I had like friends that were really into Slipknot and like I would show them drawing black mm -hmm. lines and they'd be like, I don't know, man, it's like the guy screams too much or whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I, you know, teenagers don't know anything about music, uh, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm an adult and I really don't know anything about music. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those, one of those weird things, but, uh, was the band still, uh, you know, this is something I'm going to ask you this probably three or four times throughout this chat, but was the band still fun at this point? Yeah, for sure. Um, it didn't, it didn't start to become stressful and, and, and until like later on until way after um like truth of heroes is when it kind of started getting um un unfun i guess is the word that i keep using but um okay. it was at the time early on it's like i said i was a kid i was a kid i was like 19 20 and i was just having a good time <laughs> just thankful that i had this opportunity you know um so i wasn't wasn't thinking I wasn't thinking in a responsible manner of being like, Oh man, you know what, this is turning into a job or, you know, what is, what is going to happen the rest of my life? Am I going to have to play music the rest of my life? Like I didn't, these things didn't enter my brain, I guess. Sure. Um, so yeah, tech, technically in, in the longest answer possible. Yes. It was still fun at that time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, trust me. It is not the longest answer possible. Uh <laughs> We, uh, what's interesting too, is that like, again, you know, you guys weren't a radio hits band necessarily. Like I almost yeah, feel like whenever yeah. you guys had a, a really commercially successful song or at least in the style of a commercially successful song that like, it was almost yeah. like a happy accident because one of my favorite, yeah, one of totally. my favorite things about the band really was the backup vocal, like the, the, you know, you singing over Andrew yelling, was kind of the bread and butter, you know, for me and, and having that kind mm -hmm. of sound in the band. That's why a lot of my records, my favorite records are like drawing black lines, you know, all the way up until, um, I think and the rest will follow because it always had that, you know, you had two singers kind of in the mix and, um, it created kind of an interesting dynamic that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, once, once it was gone, you know, it, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of, you kind of lose a dimension of the sound that, that was always there before. Right. So elephant in the room, uh, truthless heroes. Um, yeah. and I think we, I think we've more or less already hinted at it, that it's kind of that record that again, this label signed a band that they wanted to write hits and yeah, what they, sure. what they got, <laughs> you know, uh, was, <laughs> I mean, I could hear it. I could hear, I could hear the hooks. I could hear the, I could hear the attempt to do, to make sounds that record execs would like. <laughs> you know, uh, right, in it. Right, right. but then, you know, obviously you have the lyrics and you have the, the overall sound, the lyrics, especially were like super, super, super impactful to me. It's interesting how they hold up compared to present day, but like it, it is, uh, it, it was a very, very dark record that my, that my teenage self was very, um, appreciative oh, of, yeah. I had a yeah. friend who he drove me to school every morning and every single morning, which every morning we would listen to truthless heroes. We could, we had to pick a couple of other, <laughs> yeah, we had to, we had to pick a couple of other kids up. And so we could listen to the whole record on the way to school every morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Everything back then was, everything was, it had to do with just being like on the radio. So the, the length of the song and even the people that worked on it, the people that mixed it, everything that the radio rep could um, brag to like the rate, their local radio stations of who was a part of it and um, how long that's the total runtime of the song. Every, so everything we did on that record was to try to fit into that mold, which we just were never that kind of band. 
<laughs> right. So we were already, you know, we were already screwed from the beginning. Um, and we did write, there's definitely two or three songs on that record that are, that have, um, you know, I guess hooks in them or that could play on the radio, but it's just hilarious. Cause that the song that they ended up pushing first to radio was, um, hollow again, I think, which in yeah. itself yeah. has a really long intro and it's like the last track on the CD and, um, it didn't really fit that mold. So we had to make some sort of radio edit of it. And I mean, it was already kind of doomed since the beginning, but, um, yeah, we were we were never that kind of band, so I think trying to do that was definitely the first uh, the, first, <laughs> the first issue. <laughs> so whose whose idea was it to call it a concept album? I think I, I mean it was yeah I mean it's probably all of our idea, and um, I, a huge influence of the whole thing was that. Um, uh, what was that record? The Queen of the Stone Age, the Songs for the Duff record came out. Okay. And we were all super into it. And the way that that record is laid out um, is it's a drive. Like you start from a certain point in California and it's on a drive to the desert. So if you listen to each radio spot in Songs for the Deaf, you go further and further into uh, on a drive into the desert. That was kind of the catalyst of us like, oh, we should do something like that. And you know, we'll, we'll do these like TV sort of ads and things that are kind of conceptual. And I mean, every, every record, every record, every band does is conceptual and it kind of works together, I guess, but, um, Good calling man, it yes. a concept record is <laughs> calling it a concept record. I don't think it's completely necessary and it probably ruins the whole thing, but, um, yeah, I, all of the, the themes of the songs kind of tied into each other. And, um, I don't, I don't really see it as some like crazy concept record, but it was just kind of part of the whole, you know, marketing ploy we all thought would work, I guess. Um, I don't think it was completely necessary, but sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, having, having something to market like that, um, it could really go either way. Uh, it doesn't sound like it went the way that it probably needed to. Um, <laughs> And this is something, this is, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's just, it was just at that time, it was the beginning of when people just kind of stopped buying, going out and buying CDs. So it was like the beginning of the end of the normal, um, of the normal way that, that they were used to of selling CDs. So we were just kind of at the, at the beginning of that. And I feel like, um, all of the old, ways and in sales and uh all that stuff just started was on its way out and i think we were just unfortunately a part of that that wave <laughs> right right so yeah so that ultimately ended in the just severing i guess just severing ties with the label uh which was a really weird time period for me as a fan because i was always like go to the website, check updates and you know all that stuff or whatever and then the website yeah. the website was just gone one day and then <laughs> a couple of days later, it comes back and uh, Andrew had posted yeah. a whole bunch of Schwabisms like, you know, <laughs> tired of being slaves and the empire will fall and other, you know, a bunch of 
bunch of other crap that uh, probably yeah, I don't remember matter. that but <laughs> yeah no that, I, I remember it but I, I was so far removed from the business side of the band too mm-hmm. which um, in itself I probably should have been a little bit more you know um, a part of that I think we all should have been but that that whole side of the band was definitely a lot had to do with Schwab and so when we got dropped and all that stuff happening. It's just like, Oh, okay. Like now what? Like we didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know what that meant exactly. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, so yeah. Well, I know in a lot of cases, like bigger labels like that, and I've, I've talked to people that have kind of gone through this where the, the label basically keeps the band in the sense that they keep the band's name. They, you know, they, they keep all of the, uh, uh, you know all of the all of the stuff, and um, yeah. to to the point well, where, where are, that they band basically kind of own the masters. They own like whatever you, whatever you've done for them that they essentially paid for is they're going to do their best to try to get their money back. Right. So they would own the masters. They would own uh, the rights to that record. Essentially, I mean, it all depends on the contract that you sign. Sure, but. It, with it all happening, it actually kind of worked out because of the way our contract was with Tooth and Nail. Um, we're going to get into like the specifics of it, but sure. Atlantic bought us out of our contract with Tooth and Nail, and we got a better deal out of that. So when Atlantic dropped us, we we were actually in a better spot because if we would have gone through with our original contract tooth and nail, like they were at the time, Brandon would do these long contracts, like six record deals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got out of our tooth and nail contract and then when Lennox dropped us, we were essentially like free agents for lack of a better term. Yeah. So when we re-signed with tooth and nail after that, we actually got a better deal out of it. So technically it did kind of work out. <laughs> Well, in a way, <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you were in a totally different tier than you were when you left Tooth and Nail, you know. Right, so it right. may it makes sense. Like, what whether the record was successful or not, it was it still had the Atlantic push. It still moved units. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, yeah. it's not like it's not like it was a total failure. Which I think in a lot sometimes it gets portrayed that way. But like, it's a much more successful record than I've ever put out. You know, <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, so for that, it's just one of those weird things, but I, I just thought it was interesting, um, how, how, you know, there was the break and then you guys kind of came back full force with, uh, songs to burn your bridges by, which, uh, I won't repeat this story now, but, uh, that record, I actually ended up wrecking my car while I was listening to it. Um, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, I think I, did you, you, I think you told Steve the story. I did. Interviewed him, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Fascinating. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was during oblivion. Oh, yeah. Man. But, uh, yeah. It's... Well, I actually, I actually, I love that record a lot, by the way. It's probably my favorite overall as far all the, as far as all the records go, just cause we, um, we weren't trying to do what I was saying before. We weren't trying to do like make a radio song or radio hit and, and fit in these hooks and stuff. It was very, all very natural. Schwab knew exactly what he wanted to do. We all knew what we wanted to do. Plus the fact is a lot of the songs were uh, B-sides or things that we didn't use for Drawing Black Lines. So it kind of had that Drawing Black Lines vibe to it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because hey, I, I remember telling people it was like, uh, it almost sounds like it should have come out between 
uh, drawing black totally. lines in Truthless Heroes. Which makes, which is exactly what it is. I mean, it's essentially, as far as the songs go, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, so at this point, you know, you guys put that record out. You're with Tooth and Nail. That's actually, I I saw you guys uh, right before the car car wreck incident. Um, I saw <laughs> I had seen you guys probably like uh, maybe a week before that. And that's actually where I bought the yeah. CD was, was at the show. I think it was, uh, it was you guys in haste the day, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah. Was it in Missouri somewhere? It was in Missouri. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I don't remember exactly where we went though. I can't, I've seen project well, like five times. In, so. Uh, Kansas, we, we played Kansas city a lot. We played, um, St. Louis a bunch too. Yeah. But so we, we would have been the Kansas St. Louis city show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's our that that's our our hometown here. Um, but the uh, but the interesting thing too is that like it just seemed like the band was on like a a, a bit like a, a another upward swing, um, which makes sense now that you're like yeah we had a better contract you know, and that was also kind of seeing the band kind of more reintroduced into the like Christian market again. Whereas I feel like right. with Truthless Heroes, the the whole goal was to like not be in that market. Yeah. Um it's just it's funny to think about that whole strategy now how stupid that is is um with our our manager at the time same like i was saying same manager as pod and he, they were pretty successful of taking pod just kind of out of that world and just completely making them into a, a mainstream band and that was just the strategy for us and i think that was just a horrible idea when you think about it like there was no reason for us to do something like that um but we were trying to not play the church shows. We were trying not to play the Christian festivals and we we're trying to just do, um, mainstream shows, which in itself is even more ridiculous because those mainstream shows are at, um, clubs and bars and things that can, you can only be 21 to get to. And it's just, it's just stupid. <laughs> right. You can't get youth. Group kids um, so when we realized that was no, exactly. When we realized that that was a bad idea was during that time. And we started, going back, playing those festivals again, playing Christian shows, you know, Christian venues, stuff like that. Yeah. I think I saw you guys at cornerstone around that time also. Um, and that was, cause that was still the original, that was still the original band. Um, so I think like the first three or four times I saw a project was the, was the original band. And, uh, it was yeah. pretty much every time you guys rolled into town or if you were, uh, you know, playing at Cornerstone or like one of the Christian festivals yeah. that was around at the time. There was the short, we had like a couple, it was kind of the beginning of when we started to choose the series. And at the end of the drawing black lines record cycle, we had uh, Corey Edelman playing guitar as well, which was kind of a short uh, stint. Yeah, no, that was interesting because uh, I remember um, there was an announcement of it. Um, and then like literally no word was ever said about him ever again. <laughs> it was it was uh i'm pretty sure it was about a year or maybe it was two years we just we were we wanted another guitar player on stage um just because we thought it would have sounded better live yeah and i could have done more things i could have done like like keyboards and all that and when we did it and we started playing together it was it wasn't a good match uh music wise sure and um, we ended up having to kick him out of the band, which was so awkward. It's like the worst, yeah, worst day ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it, I guess it worked out. He, I haven't really talked to Corey in a while. <laughs> he sure. said that, uh, he, he's made peace with it, but, um, it was, yeah, we would, it was just an attempt to try to, I don't know, get a better live show. I don't know. <laughs> sure. No, I understand. Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of, a, a lot of stuff with, with that. Like as far as, yeah. um, having to do, it's funny. The guy that I rode to school with every day, um, that we listened to project 86 every morning. Um, I ended up, he, I ended up asking him to leave a band that we were in. Uh, and I remember yeah. like really not re- not thinking my strategy through because I was like, right. is he going to pick? I'm like the next morning I'm like standing outside ready to go to school. And I'm like, is he going to pick me up? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, no, <laughs> no, he did. He did. He's a, he's we, a much nicer person than I, I guess am. I, I can tell this uh, story now, but we, <laughs> He lived in San Diego at the time. We all lived in Orange County, which is a good hour, 20 minute drive. And I remember we finally made a decision that we wanted to, that we wanted to kick him out of the band. And we, we made him like drive up to Orange County for us to do it. And so we, I'll never forget this. We met at a Starbucks. Oh my God. And it was awful. Super awkward. Like how else are you supposed to do it? But and then he had to drive an, like an hour and a half back down to San Diego. You guys couldn't have just up. called me, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I think that that might have been what he said. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. I I am laughing about it now, but um, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been a bit. Statute of limitations is up on that. So. Yeah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> So, uh, I don't know where to go from there. Uh, even though there's a, uh, well, okay. So the next record was in the rest will follow, which I, you know, I, I really love that one too. I think the song, uh, necktie remedy is my favorite project 86 song, um, of yeah. all time, just because, um, again, lyrically, and that's something that, you know, uh, Schwab's lyrics were really, really, really important to me growing up, you know, like mm-hmm. as far as like mm-hmm. having a viewpoint on the world and, uh, I might get into this later. I might not. Uh, but the, the, uh, the, the weird, the weird, the way things are now versus like, like going kind of having a mindset that was built by those lyrics and, um, how, yeah. how, how they apply kind of to, to current activities is, is very, it, there's a weird disconnect there. Um, you know, so you guys put that record out and I remember, uh, that when you guys were putting that, when you guys were putting that one out, I remember Andrew told me at a show, cause I was one of the merch booth kids that would stand there and, ask a billion questions you know um (laughs) you know and uh he was like yeah the next record is not going to be nearly as musically safe as (laughs) as the last one uh that's one of the verbatim that he's like he's like this one's not gonna this one's not gonna be safe at all musically safe yeah what does that mean well then whenever i heard it i was like uh what (laughs) i mean like it seems a little bit safer than the last two you know uh musically i mean i still liked it you know because it's still it still had that like that core project 86 sound you know heavy guitar um you know good backup good backup vocals lots of yelling uh lots of very angry lyrical topics and (laughs) you know so it was it's just funny that um his interactions with fans couldn't be any more different than our interactions you know what i mean like he if we were around and he said that we would have all looked at him and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, that, that may have been the beginning of the whole uh, narrative of, well, I write everything, you know, or, or, or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I remember, I, I remember that very distinctly. It was very musically safe. And I was like, I wonder if he's talking about that piano piece that's in, um, sincerely <laughs> Ichabod, you know, cause like I was trying to figure it out, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, when am I going to feel it's, unsafe it, when I'm hearing this? Everything, everything that we did as a band, it was all four of us having to agree in it. You know what I mean? There was never, unless somebody just, somebody i.e. schwab completely didn't like something like it, it just it's funny to hear this now because we were all on the same page when we would write these records right right <laughs> so if if he at the time of us writing all the and the rest will follow music he he wasn't into something he would have said it you know so it's just weird that he would say something like that and um I think he, I think I, like in his defense, I think that he was just a um, being the hype man, like just trying to yeah trying to sure. trying to get you know trying to get the get the young eager fans pumped for you know for the next record. I mean that's that's lead singer one hundred and one stuff that you know that you have to do yeah. you know so like yeah. I, I understood it face of the band so yeah yeah so like and that was um and I assume that was kind of the idea from the beginning uh, was that he was going to handle kind of the PR. Uh, for the band, for the most part, oh, for sure, yeah. And he was a very well-spoken guy, and he was really good at that stuff. And um, I, we all kind of preferred it because he was good at it. So we would just not talk as, as well. We would try to talk as little as possible when it came to interviews and it came to like interacting with bands. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I got you for an hour, so you know it's. <laughs> <laughs> But. Well, it's just it's just funny because everything, every record that we did, or at least that I was a part of, we were all very much on the same page, um, and it wasn't there was no there wasn't no real battle. Like a lot of bands, they have kind of creative differences and battles, and it's like, well, I think our music should go in this direction, or I think we should, like we were all pretty, as far as I remember, we were all pretty much on the same page, and and a lot of it had to do with just kind of whatever music we were super into at the time. So, um, like there was no, I guess what I'm trying to say, there was no disconnect of what, (laughs) what we were writing at the time. Sure. If that makes sense. No, totally, totally. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand, you know, why he, you know, attacked it from that angle and why like in interviews would be like, oh yeah, the next record's going to be, you know, this and this and this and this, you know, I mean, I do the same stuff on the podcast. I'm like, oh, you like the last yeah. episode? Wait till you hear the next one, you know, like that, <laughs> right, that's right. right. And even though if the next but one, I, I, I just, I've heard him, I've heard him now, not now, but in later interviews, just kind of talk bad about certain records and me being so confused by it because at the time, like I was saying, we were all very much on the same page when we write these records. Well, I mean, he's point blank said in interviews that like everything from the band from the very, very beginning was all me all the time. And, (laughs) but that was also at a time where it was, it was, it had become only him, you know? So it was, right. Again, it's, it's so funny because I run such a, a weird mindset of like, well, you know, I, I still like in a lot of ways, give him the benefit of the doubt or try to figure out like why something was said the way that it was said. But, uh, but for stuff like that, like from what I've heard from you and Steven, it sounds like you guys were a band, just like any other band that sat down sure. and wrote songs and, and, and put them out and played the shows. And, and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, it was like a real, a real thing. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting. We've definitely gone different routes 
Sorry. No, you're fine. You're like fine. different routes of, of how we wrote each record is, is, is pretty different for almost each record. And like the first one we all wrote together in a room, um, drawing black lines was a lot of just Steve and Alex or just Steve. And then, um, songs you bring your bridges by was, you know, just kind of an extension of drawing black lines. And then, and the rest of follow was, was one of the records that we decided to come together again and write as like one, one yeah. unit kind of deal. Um, but then everything after that, it kind of went back to, um, us writing stuff individually and then presenting the songs to everybody and then working them out that way. Right. So, I mean, there, there comes a business need for that, you know, after a while, because yeah. unfortunately everybody gets so busy, you know, that it, it yeah, becomes nearly yeah. impossible. And then when the band's your full-time job, you know, uh, right, right, yeah, you're going right. to be writing stuff, you know, kind of, kind of when you can. And, uh, right. And then and so, at that time is when I moved to Seattle too. So I wasn't even living in Southern California anymore. So I was away from, from everybody. So it just kind of made sense to start writing just individually and then kind of come together at some point and work, you know, the songs out and all that. Sure. Uh, so you're moving into rival factions, um, and we're not going to go through, I mean, obviously I'm not going to go over any records that you weren't on, but, uh, well, that was the last, that's the last one. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and what, what go out of a, go out with a bang with that? Because like, that was so different than what I think anybody was used to, uh, from the band yeah. at that point. And I know there's like a lot of fans that hate it. Um, uh, I, I definitely didn't like it when I first heard it, but you know, I still bought it cause mm-hmm. I was a, massive fan and i just made myself like it after a while you know um, i used to be <laughs> yeah, much more of yeah. a meathead when it comes to music um but like yeah so like what was that just kind of a desire to just do something different were you tired of like kind of doing the same thing each record i'm not yeah, saying that they yeah. all sounded the same but you know what, you, you know what i mean yeah you just wanted to try to push the boundaries i guess and not write the same record and and it's like what I was saying before, everything, every record that we did is a, is definitely a, it's a, a, a mesh and like a, uh, I don't even know what word I'm trying to find, but it's a amalgamation. Is that a word? That's a good word. Yeah. That's a very good <laughs> of word. What, of what we were all listening to. And so at that time, um, Schwab was very much into she wants revenge and that we were like, I was listening to the faint and like kind of these dancier, dark uh, kind of goth bands. Right. And it just was a natural progression of just being into those kind of bands. And that was just a, our take on what we were into at the time. Right. Which is uh, also brings me back to a hilarious. I am pretty sure he said, Schwab said that he hated that record and that we, it was, it was me or it was us that, that, that did that record and he had nothing to do with it, which is complete BS. But his voice is all over <laughs> we it. Were, I mean, <laughs> well, we were all a part of it. It's like, I keep saying we were all on the same page. We were all listening to the same type of music. And I know for uh, absolute fact, he was really into, she wants revenge and, and, and it shows with how he was singing on some of the songs. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It had almost like a new wave vibe to it. And um, yeah, and, yeah. And I, I mean, that's just what we were into at the time. And then there was the occasional heavy song that was in there, which was I always thought was kind of weird. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> right. the one that's like the, right. the song I don't even remember what it's called, but it's like the forces of radio and something about a snake. Yeah, you know, dropped like, a dropped a viper into the rhythm section. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's like screaming his head off in the middle out of, of a um, 
I think I heard that I was listening to the radio and it was, a, it was some, somebody said that on the radio. I was like, what? That sounds awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, again, uh, there's a lot of elephants in this room. It's, it's like a zoo in here. Um, so obviously, obviously this is the record that you, that you left, uh, after, or, yeah. um, you know, it, would it be too forthcoming to just be like, why? I'm trying to think of how long it was when that record came out when I decided to leave. I think at that time I felt like the band really wasn't going anywhere. And it's, that's when it started to become, it's like, oh no here comes another flyout date or, Oh no, we're, you know, we're going to have to drive to, um, Jacksonville, Florida. And just where this started becoming this like burden that I just really wasn't into anymore. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, you start worrying about how many, how many tickets you're going to sell at a show. You ask for like the, what are the ticket sales at the door and stuff like that, where it just starts to just weigh on you and it's just draining. And I saw at the time that was when under road started getting huge, Norma Jean, all these bands, they would draw like crazy amounts of kids. And I just saw it us being not relevant to that anymore. Um, so it's just, that's, that's definitely the beginning of just thinking like, well, maybe this isn't something that I'm going to do the rest of my life. <laughs> or maybe it's, maybe it's run its course, you know? Um, yeah, at least for me, it, it definitely was the beginning of running its course. And so you start thinking about, and at the time, I think I was 20, let's say 24, 25. And you just start thinking like, wait, I can't, I can't play in bands the rest of my life. Some people have done that and they pull it off and it's awesome. But I just thought there's no way what's going to happen when I'm 40, what's going to happen when I'm 45 and be some old dude, like playing in some band. <laughs> yeah. You're in your sixties really and you're like, all right guys, here we go. One arm man. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do some fly out dates. Like <laughs> there's just no way. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Entering my brain. There's plenty. Of, there's plenty of fans of of that era of the band that would love nothing more than you guys to all do a fly out date and do that. Um, yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's giving me like you're just stressing me out. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. Not trying to. But you know, I, I think it's. I, I'm trying to be as respectful as possible to all par- parties, but. Um, there, there comes, a, there comes a point where, you know, enough time goes by and it's, uh, enough time goes by where, you know, statute of limitations kind of comes up on that stuff. But I totally understand yeah, yeah. like, cause that was the time where like, even I, when I would listen to project 86, by that time I'd been listening to like much heavier bands, you know, I went in, you know, full metal, you know, um, Christian or not, whatever, who cares? Like, let's just, let's just be heavy and, and act like idiots, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, and project 86 was that band that I'd kind of come back to and be like, Oh, okay, well they're doing a different thing or whatever, you know? And, um, but it was interesting because I think whenever I went and saw the band, I think, I think the next record picket fence cartel had come out. Um, and I went and yeah. saw it was the scream, the player, it was the scream, the prayer tour. And, um, and it was just, it was Schwab and Steven was there, but then I didn't know anybody else, you know, that was, that was in the band. I think he had like yeah. two other guys. And, um, I remember he stood the entire time with his crotch in my face, uh, Schwab, uh, during that show. 
I don't think intentionally, but right. it was just a weird right. stage thing. And I was such a fan that I was like, yeah, this is amazing. You know? Yeah. That, that scream, the prayer tour, that was, that was, I was, I was out, I was gone. Um, which I think, um, I don't remember who, who was, <laughs> who did you see play in the band? I have <laughs> no idea. Happened. I mean, it was obviously Schwab <laughs> yeah. and Steven were the only people I, I recognized. Um, and that was, that was one of those weird things too, where like there had never been any type of official announcement that you'd left the band or yeah. there, there was no, we had, like, we had this weird agreement when I left, um, which could be an entire podcast in itself. Sure. But when I left, I felt like I was kind of leaving, I was just leaving him in the lurch. And so I, I thought for the betterment of the, for the betterment of the band that we wouldn't really announce that I was quitting. I don't know why we did this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so we never really announced it. Right. It wasn't a thing. Um, and we even did, I think we even did like a photo shoot way after I left the band Weird (laughs) would be in the photos. I don't know why I agreed to this. That's super weird. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's weird. Like I, I, again, I kind of like, sort of understand it's so like the fans don't lose hope or whatever but like at the same time like you know um when you got your when you got your front man telling everybody that he is the band i don't understand why it would be you know that big of a deal yeah, you know bands know. change people i mean norma jean changed lead singers after their first record you know yeah, like i mean band guys, members yeah. come and go yeah. it's when you're in when you're into this kind of music like that's just something that that we're all pretty used to you know <laughs> um yeah 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 so um <laughs> thinking back at that whole thing it was it was a whole deal but we it's just funny we were writing we were we were writing for pickup fence cartel and i wrote a few songs um but i just remember just coming to a breaking point where it's like i need to i need to get out of here and i remember it was this long conversation on the phone with schwab and i remember him um saying well you know you should leave the band if you're unhappy and i said you know what that's a really good idea i think i want to do that and then he was he was calling my bluff, and I was like, "Nope, I think I'm out." And it was funny. He was like, "Whoa, wait, you know, hold on." <laughs> Let's back up a couple seconds here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what kind of turned into um, the you know for now we're not going to tell anybody, uh, won't be, make a big deal out of it. Um, you know, you guys can continue on. I'm just not going to be a part of this. Blah blah blah. Sure. Um, yeah. Sounds reasonable. And then, you know, Steven was out just pretty quickly after that, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he was in the band for maybe another year. Right. Which, um, yeah, another record. Like him and I were yeah. definitely the, the closest, um, friends in the band. And I, I think I felt the worst about just kind of leaving him. Sure. But, um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't last very long. He didn't look super happy. Whenever I saw him that screen of, prayer. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah. He was, he was in a very dark place at that point, but it was just tough because at the time that was our only income. So essentially you're just kind of quitting your job, um, with nothing, you know what I mean? With no real backup plan. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's, I did it at the time. That's terrifying I, though. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Cause it was all, it was all we had. Um, but luckily for me, I had a job offer. So, it was it was easier uh, to do it, but for him, he didn't really have anything like that lined up. So it it took him a little bit sure. longer for him to get out. But yeah, yeah, I feel that. 
I, I've been in that situation before with like corporate jobs and stuff being like, I got to get out, you know, like there's, I can't, yeah, I can't realistically pretend that I'm, that I'm happy and that everything's all honky dory, you know, <laughs> and then right, uh, right. it's bad, but just, um, just when you're miserable, you're miserable. And some people like to be miserable, <laughs> but, I, but I wasn't really into it. So I sure. just had to do with what it, what I had to. Well, and then, so that's whenever you started working for, it was tooth and nail, right? Or were you doing that while you were uh, yeah. in project? That was, um, that was exactly when I started working tooth and nail. Cause I, I had been, I moved to Seattle kind of before it was kind of after, um, song to bridges by and before rival factions when I moved up there and I had the opportunity to work for Aaron Sprinkle, which I did while, while I was doing the band. Um, but, uh, to have like a real job opportunity is when Brandon was looking for an A&R guy. And that's when the whole thing, that's when it started entering my brain that I probably should quit because I hated being in the band. Um, and he, he offered me the job. So that's when I, that's when I ended up quitting. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, having a, having something, you know, having something, you know, having a quote unquote real job, you know, <laughs> after that. Yeah, exactly. Something with a real paycheck and all that stuff. For sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, in the, for the sake of time, because I know I've only got you for a little bit longer, but um, the, uh, I, I guess, where, at what point did, what was the cat out of the bag as far as like, I mean, obviously fans were going to the shows and maybe you don't know this. Maybe you just weren't even like paying attention. Fans were going to shows and realizing that like nobody was in the band <laughs> except for, yeah, yeah. except for Andrew. We didn't even talk yeah. about Alex or <laughs> I feel kind of bad about that. No. Um, well, it was, it got, it got bad. There was, uh, that was a really bad, um, breakup with Alex. And I honestly don't remember specifics to it, but I remember it being, there was some bad blood. Um, and that's when it was just us three. But, um, are you asking just when, when it was finally, I guess, announced that we weren't yeah. a part of the band anymore or <laughs> yeah, which I get, <laughs> yeah, you may funny. not I even know that ever happened. Yeah. It didn't really, I don't think it even happened. And we just started do, we just kind of started doing our own things and I started just living the normal life and, and having a job. And I just kind of separated myself from that whole world, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you've done great. Funny Cause I didn't really even say anything until uh, this past year, <laughs> like, yeah. I haven't really said anything about the band until, until last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, and, and I asked you that question being a little facetious. I know it didn't happen. I know there was no announcement. There was no, no. <laughs> you, know, you know, sort of, sort of thing. Um, but like, I, I guess again, I, I'm probably digging a little too deep here, but like, um, when did it get weird? Um, it's, it was definitely in between those two records. It was in between rival factions and and picket fence cartel. Okay. Where, um, it was just a, it was a bunch of things. It was a bunch of, I don't want to, I don't want to tour anymore. I don't want to do these fly out dates. I don't, um, it's just not, it's, it's just not fun anymore. Um, and it's just dynamics of the band change. Your relationships with people change. Um, and it was just, it was a tough situation. And I was like, where's this going? It's not going anywhere. I remember at the time too, I had an offer to play, um, in another band and like an offer to play for like a 
she wasn't necessarily a pop artist, but it was somebody um, that it was on Atlantic and our our, our guy talking to me about it. And, and that's kind of where it got into my brain that I don't, that I'm not going to be in Project 86 the rest of my life. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and you just, you know, you start, it enters your brain and then you start thinking about every little thing and then you start weighing your, your options and if it's worth it. And, um, and I, I just essentially just, you know, realized that it wasn't worth it anymore, but I'm trying to think back of of that timeline. It was for sure during that post, uh, rival factions time. And I just, I remember thinking and seeing all these bands that were doing very well on tooth and nail, um, like Amber Lynn under Rose. And that was probably the, the heyday of tooth and nail. And, and we were definitely not a part of that. I, at least I didn't feel like I, we were a part of that. Yeah. And it just kind of made me realize that, that I think our, our time is, is over. <laughs> right. Um, so, well, and then you went on to do, I mean, am- amazing things. I mean, you did A&R for tooth and nail. You've done, you've done, um, you've done music for, for movie soundtracks. I mean, like, um, I was actually, I was actually web stalking you earlier watching uh, clips of stuff that you've <laughs> done sound design on. Um, yeah. Like I, I would have never had any idea that you did the music or, you know, like was involved with the music with the, uh, the death scene of, uh, you know, at the end of it, you know, like that, that blew my mind, you know, <laughs> that was like, <laughs> it's actually, it's not, it's not music at all. It's just sound, it's right. It's sound design. design. Yeah. Um, Right. Which in itself could be music, but, um, at least for the film work that I do, it's mostly sound. Sure. And even like video game soundtracks and stuff like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's impressive, you know, like, so like games that I played like recently, which was like the star Wars squadrons game, you know, like yeah, all that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's super cool. And like, I, I, it, it kind of blew my mind. And then of course there's all the knives stuff, which I didn't talk about at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, which was, which was incredible, um, actually. So oh, it's funny. You. It's funny that a guy that hated rival factions when it came out, uh, turns around, <laughs> turns around that many years later. And is like, dude, this knives, this knife CD is, is, is awesome. You know, like, <laughs> well, it, it just goes to show. It's like when, when you just listen to different music, like we, I definitely still love heavy music. I still listen to it a lot, but sure. you just start, branching out you start listening to other bands and you what really resonated with me and it still does is that type of music like keyboard based um uh not necessarily dance music but kind of goth uh yeah influence depeche mode and like that kind of stuff i definitely gravitated towards more as i got older yeah um but yeah when you just go through these like seasons and you start listening to different things and things that I would never have listened to, you know, now I would have listened to back then and vice versa. And so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's impressive. It really is. And it's not, this isn't just like, Oh, I'm on the phone with you. So I'm gonna tell you how great everything is, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but, it, but at the same time, it is really, um, it's inspirational, I think, for a lot of people that, you know, because you did you did quit the you did kind of quit the whole like being in a band to make your living thing. <laughs> Yet you've still found yeah. you've still found a way through to make music your main source of income. Uh, which I think yeah, is I'm kind of. But yeah, um, there's at least the work that I do now and the kind of the work that I got into. It's very much 
similar to music and music production and stuff. And it's funny because a lot of the people that I work with now and people that, um, that I've worked with before, they all, all used to be in bands. They all used to play music. So it's just kind of a natural progression of, of the stuff that, you know, that we all used to do. And it just kind of turns into these other opportunities, which we all know how hard it is to, to play music and be in music full time now. So you kind of have to figure out different avenues of, of the things that you know, and, and production shops and things that you've learned being in a band that you can hopefully translate into the sound stuff, which is kind of what I've done, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think it's super cool. I, I would love to, I would love to have a job that I could be creative in, you know, um, that's what yeah. part of why I started podcasting was so that I could have some sort of creative outlet as a person that doesn't really have a lot of musical ability. I was a lead singer. So that's all you need to, you know, all you really need to, pull, <laughs> right. all you need to really pull from that. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I unfortunately found myself reliant on other people uh, in order to make my dreams come true, so to speak. Um, and kind of, kind of in that same, and this is probably the last project question I'll ask you, but um, you know, was it weird to you? this many years later uh to see that the band was still like a thing for sure absolutely <laughs> it's always been weird um it just and, and there's a million arguments against it and for it and uh, as far as our as far as project 86 goes it was us four and i feel like any and other bands sure they could have lead singers and could be and it can work like when we were talking about Nora Jean and all that, but at least the dynamic and what I knew for a, a good 12 to 14 years, project A6 was us four. And anytime, like when Alex left, I thought that was weird. And, and we were like, well, hopefully, you know, this maybe could still work. And sure. luckily kind of sort of did, but that definitely was the beginning of the end is when he left. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, in in my mind, yes, it's super weird, and it's not the band. And I always thought that, and I've said that a million times. Sure, but, um, it's it's not the band at all. But yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, as a, as a fan of the band, um, you know, I, I'm in this weird position where you know the person that's running the band doesn't even consider people that are fans of the band to be fans of the band if they talk about certain things, <laughs> you know, right. And, uh, <laughs> right. So right. it's a, it's, it's a weird position to be in, but it is, um, it's interesting. I, and I, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing kind of your perspective on a lot of this stuff. Um, and I apologize if I asked like a little bit too personal questions, but, um, no, it's not personal at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I love, I love to talk about it. I, it blows my mind that anybody cares still. So I'm a huge I nerd. Man. talking about it. <laughs> I followed the, I mean, I followed this band for well after well over a decade, you know, we, um, we, I was, I mean, I, I was such a huge fan for, for such a long time, even when it wasn't even really like my style of, of music. Um, but it's also one of those things where like when you, you have a band fans want to know everything about the band. And I know that that's also kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause like I have people like will message me asking me weird questions about the podcast or like more specifically, right. like I don't, I'm fine with podcast questions, but like questions about my personal life and like, you know, how many kids do you have? And how many, you know, it, it gets a yeah, little weird yeah. after a while, you know? Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, I don't have any kids. I have two dogs. I didn't, you know, I didn't dig in. I work a lot and that's pretty much my life. Right. That's awesome though. 
Um, yeah, but no, that's I don't mind it at all, honestly. Well, I'll keep that in mind if we do a part two. I'll be like, all right, let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about what you had for lunch yesterday, and what, what was the address of the place yeah. that you had that lunch at? You know, um, <laughs> but but I, I appreciate you dig it. You know, uh, indulging me with some of these things that I've just kind of always wondered about the band and being a, being a yeah. being a fan. You know, you want to know everything that there is to know, and then whenever you're the situation is complicated. Most bands don't have a complicated story. You know, it's right. literally like, you know, um, yeah, man, we, we got together, we did some records and then we, you know, we stopped or we're still going or, or, or whatever. But with project 86, there was just always so much like weird cloak and dagger going on that, right. <laughs> that right. uh, you know, right. I could, I, I could come up with, you know, a hundred other questions about, about specific things, but I, uh, I'll do that later. And then I'll, I just... mean, if you could, re- if you could remember any of those, I would love to answer there's there's a few especially about especially about what the song circuitry is about um i'm pretty sure i know what it's about but it's a weird yeah that stuff i can definitely tell you (laughs) everything i don't know if i should but i definitely could well everybody everybody listening to this go back and and read the lyrics for the song circuitry and tell me what you think they're about uh it's very weird weird, very weird lyrics for a christian rock band Uh, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I'm pretty sure I, I'm I'm almost certain that we've talked about this before, and I we did. did I, I think I did tell you we it, were DM, we, we were DMing uh, about it. Yeah, well, because somebody somebody posted in one of the Facebook groups, they were like, uh, you know, what's a song that you would love to hear explained by Andrew? What it's about? And the I just posted oh, circuitry yeah. like immediately, like. <laughs> And, uh, that's a good one. That yeah. is. I mean, it's yeah. yeah, it's 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 a little it's trolling a little bit, but it it's still. Uh, but yeah, everybody, it's, everybody it's go- definitely most of the songs you uh, it's what you first think of what it might mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's not anything some not some crazy uh, you know secret uh, meaning something you can you can almost figure it out by reading these lyrics. So. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, it sounds like we, we may just have to do a part two at some point, but, uh, but you know, I'm down. I'm but I, yeah. Cause I got like, I got like 400 questions about knives too, that I could, that I could throw out there, even though there's not like a yeah. whole lot of released material. Like there's a lot of depth. Uh, there's a lot of depth on that, on that record and even the uh, EP. So, you know, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of good stuff to dig into. Um, I always thought it would be really funny to have Ryan Clark on the podcast and only talk to him about knives, like not even mention, not even, <laughs> not even mention Demon Hunter at all. <laughs> like just make it through like, yeah. yeah, you guys may know him from his band knives, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> he would probably be into that. <laughs> he probably would. He probably would. But, uh, I appreciate it, man. I know you got, uh, you got places to be and, and worlds to change. So, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to hop off of here, but uh, I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time out to chat for a little bit. And uh, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. For sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I mean, if you want to do a part two, I'm all about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's plenty of nights where I'm sitting around like, ah, I could, I should probably do something. So like I, I'm creating a Rolodex of people I can just call up and be like, Hey, um, let's dig deeper yeah. into this thin one thing that we already talked about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm, all all ready to do it so let me know all right we'll do all right man well you have yourself a great night and uh we'll uh catch up uh we'll catch up soon all right thanks dan appreciate it this has been the discuss metal podcast with randy torres of knives presented by discussmetal.com. metal.com